when Scott Finch uh, puts together, um, when he and I collaborate on on the worship service, and he'll normally uh, put the worship service together, and we'll kind of look over it. And it always seems to align so well with what is being taught um, on a given Sunday. And um, that's not by accident. That's by the, the Holy Spirit and, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the ways tangibly we see the Lord working in our midst. It's just by confirming so much um, between what the liturgy is in it, uh, within the liturgy, and uh, the content of God's word. And so we praise the Lord for that. Um, a couple of housekeeping things. Um, the rest of this month is going to look a little bit weird from the teaching standpoint. We're going to end with, uh, with our time in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and then we'll pick up a sermon series on prayer. And then we'll take a mini break and, and do uh, our missions conference. And then we'll pick back up in, with prayer. And so that's typically not our pattern. We try to, try to have a, a smoother sort of uh, um, transition between sermon series. But um, be in prayer for the series in prayer. Um, we are a praying church. There's a number of things happening um, in the coming months to give us opportunities for prayer. And so be uh, avail yourself of those. Um, we have a vibrant prayer ministry here at CVPC. And, um, and one of the ways in which I want to encourage that is to do a series on prayer. And we'll be looking at how do we talk to the Lord. Um, and we're looking at various texts in order to help us do that. So I'm very excited about that. Um, very excited uh, to share with you what God has been sharing, uh, showing me and his word through prayer and the application of that in our daily lives. And so um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 9 through uh, 14. And um, for those of you that haven't been with us, we've been going through the book, and um, we've been going through the book more thematically and less verse by verse. So some of you are looking at me and saying, well, Pastor, we skipped over a whole bunch in here I was excited to look at. Well, calm down. Um, we've... Uh, I, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but the reality is we've actually covered a lot of things thematically that apply to the entire book. And so if you go back and you review what we've covered thus far, you'll see um, there are repeating themes that we've already addressed. And so today we're going to look at our final theme, and, um, and that's wisdom, the wisdom of God. I want to make a case for the wisdom of God over and against the wisdom of this world. And I think it's something that Solomon has been prodding us to um, look at. So here now, the word of God, beginning at verse, uh, actually verse number 8 down to verse number 14. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord for prayer. Father, we thank you so much. Um, this is your word, and these are your people. And as we study this final section in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, give us wisdom, I pray. We desperately need it. Uh, comfort our hearts with your truth. Help us to long for your word and to love it and to love and be excited about the reality of applying it to our lives. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you to look at verse number eight uh, in your bulletin. You might see printed verse number nine, what I called an audible, as it were. And I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number eight. It's a dividing line for the book. Everything prior to that, Solomon has been telling us, is meaningless, or he's gone through and looked at how life is meaningless under the sun without the knowledge of God. For instance, Solomon has asked, I think, the very potent question, why do we keep pursuing pleasures um, that leave us ultimately feeling empty? I was looking at a, a, a documentary recently, and they had a number of people who were drug addicts. And they asked these drug addicts, why do you keep using drugs over and over again if you know they are of no value to you? And the people said, we just can't help ourselves. We get a quick fix, and then after that, it goes away. Well, Solomon says, we're all addicts. We, we use the things of this world to soothe us, but the pleasures don't last long. The pleasure of entertainment and television or the pleasures of sporting. Solomon says, those things don't last very long. Those are fleeting pleasures. Solomon also talks about the problem of justice, the fact that we pursue justice in this world, the pain and the suffering that's often seen in this world, but we don't get ultimate justice in the world, so we wait for an eternal justice. And then Solomon says, we all are hard workers. I look out here, and I see a lot of hard workers. Yesterday, we were helping uh, the Kennedys move, and I saw a lot of hard workers. And Solomon says, well, why are we working so hard? Why are we working so hard? What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accumulate? If we're just going to leave it all behind to somebody else who doesn't deserve it. Those are penetrating questions. And in many ways, Solomon wants to ask these questions because Solomon is trying to get us in a particular direction. He's trying to uh, goad us. In other words, he's trying to point us in a particular direction. The particular direction is this that the wisdom that we try to exercise under the sun is ultimately meaningless for solving the problems in our lives. It won't bring you satisfaction. It won't bring you meaning. It won't give you a sense of purpose. The only thing that will is following the wisdom of God. And so Solomon gives us his big takeaway. And the big takeaway from Solomon is pursue the wisdom of God. And let's look at how he does that. I want to look at three things today the priority of wisdom, the purpose of wisdom, and the practice of wisdom. Let's begin with the priority of wisdom. Notice verse 9 and verse number 10. 
Now, Solomon tells us two things in verse 9 and verse number 10. He talks to us about knowledge, and he talks to us about wisdom, and he says there's a difference. First of all, notice what Solomon defines as knowledge. In verse number 9, he says, Besides being wise, the preacher also sought the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So what is knowledge? Well, knowledge is the accumulation of facts and information. That's what Solomon says. Right? The accumulation of facts and information. So what then is wisdom? Solomon tells us in verse number 10 that wisdom is our words in action. Wisdom is knowledge in action. Wisdom brings delight and truth. Another way for us to look at this is Solomon is saying that wisdom makes us happy and holy. That's what the word delight means. It makes us happy Truth means holy. When we apply God's truth to our lives, it makes us happy and holy. I remember um, teaching my children the children's catechism. If you're inside here today, you know the children's catechism. Question 21, it says, in what condition did God make Adam and Eve? And my kids used to belt out, he made them happy and holy. And they're, tr they're correct. Because happiness and holiness also comes through the wisdom of God. Now, this tells us something important. If you are in here today and you are unhappy and unholy, that's because you are being unwise. You're living in a foolish manner. You're not uh, putting your heart in, uh, into the wisdom of God. Now, you might be sitting there and saying, well, pastor, why does this all matter that we follow the wisdom of God? Why does it matter that we see uh, Solomon in here prioritizing wisdom? For this reason, you live in a society that prioritizes um, information over wisdom. Do you realize today you live in a society that, uh, for, all, for all that's in our society, uh, gives us great access to information? You look at the Internet and colleges. I was looking a uh, statistic up yesterday. Do you know the United States has the most schools in the world? We have the second most colleges in the world. And we also, we also have the best schools in the world. Go USA, right? Now, most of them are in the Northeast. Uh, some are in the Northwest, but that's true. We're the most educated people in the world. We have access to all kinds of knowledge. You could Google anything. I'm not suggesting that you do. Some of it is illegal, but it's true. You can go on the Internet, and you could Google anything you want. Now, let me ask you a question. For all of our education and instruction and information, are we any wiser as a society? Are we? Well, the answer to that question is no. We are no wiser as a society. In fact, the exact opposite. Paul telegraphed it in 1 Corinthians 8.1.2. He says that all of our knowledge puffs us up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Now, what does Paul mean that, he, that we don't know as we ought to know? Here's what Paul is saying. With all of our knowledge, with all of our learning and understanding, we as a society are no closer to wisdom, that we still live life very poorly. Most of you sitting inside here know someone that knows everything the Bible has to say about marriage, 
but their marriages are falling apart. All of us know someone inside here today that we know all kinds of things about money, but they're poor managers of money. And why is that? Well, because it's much easier for us to know than it is to do. Isn't that the case? It's so easy to learn things, but it's very difficult and very hard to put those things into practice. Uh, recently, I went into uh, Russ Lynch's shop, and he's teaching me how to build things. And as I, uh, yes, I know, uh, he has his work cut out for him, pray for him. But um, as I was in Russ Lynch's shop and he was teaching me how to do something, he sat there and he said, Dennis, here are the tools, do this, do that. And he, he did a very good job of teaching me how to do it. And then when I tried to do it, I, well, struggled. Now, why is that the case? Because it's very difficult to put into practice what it is that we know to be true. In America today, we don't have a problem with knowledge. We have a problem with wisdom. And so Solomon tells us here, prioritize wisdom. Spend less time trying to accumulate knowledge and spend more time trying to figure out to use the wisdom you already have. One of the things about my mother that I loved about her is that my mother was not an educated woman at all. She never made it past sixth grade. But one of the things I love about that woman is every bit of information she had, she learned how to use it wisely. And she raised two sons to love wisdom and knowledge. And she raised two sons to love the Lord. And I tell you that for this reason. So often in our society today, in our churches, we love knowledge. We love to hear things new. But are we putting into practice the things we already know to be true? That's a sign of being wise. So that's the first thing, the priority of wisdom. The second thing that Solomon tells us here is the purpose of wisdom. What is wisdom for? What is godly wisdom for? Notice with me in verse number 11, uh, Solomon tells us godly wisdom is used for two things. First of all, he says the words of the wise are like goads. And the second one is like nails firmly fixed. So the first thing that Solomon says godly wisdom is for is it serves as a warning for us. That's the whole purpose of goads. Now, what is a goad? A goad was a sharp stick. A sharp stick. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, it's a sharp stick that was used to tell an ox where to go. Right? Just trying to see if you all are awake. It's a sharp stick to tell an ox where to go. Now, here's the thing about a goad. It, when, when an ox is going off the path that is laid out for him, the, the, you know, the shepherd or whoever, the farmer, would take this stick and give it a little tap-tap. Now, it wasn't um, you know, Peter approved, but it got the job done. And, and what does that tell us? Don't miss this principle. This is important. The word of God is designed to give us a little bit of pain to prevent us from a greater pain. I want you to write that down and remember that. That's a powerful truth in God's word. I had a friend uh, several years ago, um, a college friend of mine, that talked about one day she had a pain in her stomach. And it was a little pain. 
and uh, she couldn't get the pain to go away. She took medication and various things. She couldn't get the pain to go away. So finally, her mother said, hey, we need to go to the hospital. And when she went to the hospital, found out that she had appendicitis. And her appendix was about to burst. Now, our bodies tell us that if we have a little bit of pain, that's a sign of a greater pain to come. And so we need to pay attention to it. And by making mention of the goads here, Solomon says, first of all, that the word of God is used to give us a little bit of pain to prevent us from a greater pain. Now, how does that work out practically in our life? Well, here's one thing. For many of us inside here today, we're always faced with decisions. And one decision might, might be a little painful. It might hurt our pride or it might cost us. But at the same time, the other d decision might be an ungodly decision. And in following the ungodly decision, it could cause us to sin. And so the word of God says that you always follow God's way and God's path. Because to do the opposite of what God is calling you to do will lead to greater pain and greater suffering in our life. And beloved, that comes with a lot of trust in the word of God. One way we see this in our society today is what the Bible says about sexuality. You know, following God's law when it comes to sexuality in our society today creates a little bit of pain. We might be ostracized. We might lose friends. We might uh, not have the following that we want. But God says that that little bit of pain that we experience from our society prevents us from a greater pain, which is apostasy in Christ. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us the word of the Lord is like goads. The wisdom of God is like goads. Receive that little bit of pain that hurts your pride. Receive that little bit of pain, things not going your way or being ostracized because it protects you from the greater pain. We see this also when it comes to forgiveness. I was talking to somebody recently and they said they were having a hard time forgiving someone. And I said, listen, uh, forgiveness is hard. It costs you something. But forgiving someone is a slight pain that prevents the greater pain of being ostracized from the person that you're struggling to forgive. And so that's what the Bible tells us. Now, the second thing is, uh, he says here in this passage, that the word, uh, the word of wisdom are like nails. Nails here are nails that fasten things together. So think of uh, a nail in a door or a nail in a piece of furniture. Solomon says the word of God is like, or the wisdom of God is like nails, nails that fix or hold our lives together. When I lived in the Bahamas, um, we, uh, as I got older, people started tearing down old homes and building new homes. I mean, beautiful homes brick homes. And uh, not too far from where these new homes were built were these old rinky homes, like uh, wooden homes. And uh, whenever a storm would come, it, it always amazed me that the newer homes would lose a roof or get blown down. And these little, little shacks, basically, right, that was off to the side would be held up. And I'm like, well, what's going on there? Well, what's going on is that uh, Bahamians back in the day put a million nails in those small homes. I mean, you could, you could hit that home with a bomb and that home wouldn't go off. 
Now, why is that? Because, you know, instead of the nails being an inch apart, the nails is like a few centimeters. I'm not kidding. You look at some of these homes, man. These homes have more nails than wood. <laughs> but you know what? Those, those homes didn't go anywhere. Didn't matter the size of the hurricane. Didn't matter what people did to them. Even fires, man, those, those homes held up. And so what is the writer of Ecclesiastes saying to us here? Don't miss this. He said, the the wisdom of God holds your life together through the storms, through the storms. So often, Christians go through hard times in their lives. Hard times are coming, by the way. If you haven't experienced them, many of you have experienced them. But the word of God says that if you rely and trust the wisdom of God, just like the song tells us, that we put our trust in the Lord and we say, God, uh, this thing you're calling me to is hard, but I'm going to follow your wisdom. Solomon says those are like nails. Trust the nails. And as the storms of life fly over you, you will not crumble because you are supported by the wisdom of God. This is true uh, in the life of David, you remember in 1 Samuel 18 to the end of the chapter, David was, be, was being harassed by um, Saul. And over and over in the scriptures, the Bible says that David behaved himself wisely. We kind of gloss over that, but what uh, does the Bible tell us there? Well, despite David almost being killed, despite David being lied about, despite David being in trouble, The word of God says that David behaved himself wisely. And because of that, David was held together. So what's the purpose of wisdom? Well, the purpose of wisdom is, beloved, to save us from a greater pain and to hold our lives together. The question is, how are you doing? You know, the Bible says um, that as God's people... To trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your heart. Notice the priority to trust in the Lord. Why should we trust in the wisdom of the Lord? Because they are fasteners. They hold our lives together. They keep us firmly in the will of God and they prevent us from the greater pain. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us, do not Trust your own path. Don't go down your own path. Don't believe or have your own truth. I hear that a lot. People say, well, this is my truth. I'm sorry, truth is not privatized. The truth of God belongs to everyone, and it's universal and fixed. And unless you live your life according to what this book says, the Bible says that you, your life will fall apart. So that's the purpose of wisdom. Finally, let's look at the practice of wisdom, verse 13 through 14. Solomon says here, hear the end of the matter, all has been heard. Now what does he mean here? Well, Solomon means simply here that after weighing all of the texts, after studying and looking at all sorts of things, he's going to boil down the essence of wisdom. I love when people do that. People just boil everything down. And what does he say? Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Very powerful statement. Now, what does it mean to fear God and keep his commandments? Now, a lot of people say fearing God means being in awe of God. And that's true, but what, even, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in awe of God? 
Well, to be in awe of God simply means that God, or you put God above everything and everyone else. That's what it means. To be in awe of God is to put God above everything and everyone else. Probably the best way to think of the fear of the Lord is to think of the fear of man. You know, when I was younger, the fear of man manifested itself as peer pressure. You know, remember being young and doing foolish things. Why? Because I was pressured into it. Hey, do this. Why? Because I said so. And so I did it. Right. That's peer pressure. Why did I want to dress a certain way or why did I curse or why did I say bad things? Well, it's because I was pressured into it. Why? Because I didn't want my friends to be mad at me. Peer pressure. Peer pressure exists today. I, I would venture to say that 99% of the stupid things I did when I was younger was because of prayer pressure. Now, when we get older, we modernize it. You know, we kind of we kind of change the name. We don't call it prayer pressure anymore. What do we call it? Well, we call it people pleasing. Do you realize that people pleasing is a form of fearing man? When we want the approval of others. Some of us say and do things just to please people. But the word of God says clearly that at that point we are fearing man and not God. When we people please. Even today, psychologists call it codependency. And that's where we depend on relationships with others just to make by. Well, let me ask you today. Are you succumbing to prayer pressure? Are you succumbing to people pleasing? Are you in codependent relationships? The Bible says if you are, you are fearing man and not fearing God. Your actions and behaviors are being controlled more by what people say and the opinions of others and the actions of others and what others want instead of what God wants. God alone should be our ultimate source of truth and right. Only God we should fear. And notice here that fearing God goes hand in hand with keeping his commandments. It's a precursor. If you don't fear the Lord, you won't keep his commandments. And here's why. Who in here listens to anybody they don't respect? Who in here does, uh, you know, if somebody tells you to do something, if you don't respect them, you're not going to do it. If you respect your friends more than God, of course you're going to do what your friends ask you to do. If you respect a social commentator who's not a Christian more than you respect God and let that person influence you more than God, then you're fearing, you're fearing man and not fearing God. And the text clearly says that if you are going to keep God's commandment, you have to fear God. God alone should be feared. And so Solomon says the key to living wisely, the key to practicing wisdom is to fear God, and when you fear God, you keep his commandments. And notice he says, for this is the whole duty of man. In other words, this is why you are here. This is the purpose of why you live. You know, um, I was reading a historian recently, and he said that in modern-day America, we're the first generation to not teach our people or not teach our children why they exist. Think about that for a moment. We're the first generation of people to, ever, to not teach our people why they exist. And let me ask you a question. Do you know why you exist? Why are you here? What's your purpose in life? Rick Warren wrote a book that I know Bobby DeWitt loves. And um, in the book, 
He calls it the purpose-driven life. Do you realize the purpose-driven life is now the second most popular book in the history of the English-speaking world? It actually surpassed um, other works of literature. That's, that's unimaginable, but actually it makes sense because people crave to know what their purpose in life is. People crave to know why they're here. And we have done this generation a disservice. We've done ourselves a disservice by not reminding people that your purpose in life is not to, uh, not to do whatever you want to do or ask God to bend to your will, but to do the will of God. It's clearly here in the text. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what you should spend your time learning how to do. And if you're not spending your time learning um, how to do that, then the Bible says you are unwise because that's your purpose in life. Now, uh, the final thing I want to say is look down at verse number 14. In verse number 14, uh, Solomon ends the book by saying, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, what does Solomon mean here? Why does Solomon end with the specter of judgment? Well, Solomon is not saying here that God is in heaven waiting to punish you for not doing what he asked you to do. That's not what Solomon is saying here at all. What Solomon is saying here is that he is not the final arbiter of truth. God is. And hear me today. We live in a world in which there's a lot of moral confusion. We live in a world where people are saying that it's right to change their genders. We live in a world today where Christians are knowing should we use pronouns that people give us. I mean, you know, I, I'm trying to raise children in this moral confusion, and sometimes it's difficult. I have people ask me questions all the time. Pastor, should I, should I go to the wedding of a relative who is um, who's gay? Or I get faced with a lot of questions about what's going on in our society today about a whole bunch of things. And look, these things, I can't Google them. Try. You can't Google these things. All of us in this room today are facing tremendous decisions. Some of you are facing, what am I going to do after college? Some of you are wondering, what major am I going to have? Some of you are wondering, who am I going to marry? I mean, this thing is huge. We have a lot of things that we have to distill and think about and act upon. And let me ask you this question. How are you going to do it? There's no class on how to live in the world. Trust me, I've looked. I've gone on the internet and I've tried to see, okay, what, are, what should I say in this situation? Or what, are, what should I say in that situation? And you know what? It's complicated and difficult. And what Solomon is saying here that's so beautiful, he's, he's reminding the Christian, look, ultimately, God is the chief arbiter of truth. And one day we'll have to answer to God for the truth. But I want to leave you with this wonderful uh, point. Notice with me in verse number 11, as he talks about the goads and the nails, he says that these things are given by one shepherd. And if you notice, the word for shepherd there is capitalized, meaning it's Jesus. Hey, look, here's what I want to leave you with. God wants you to be wise because God wants you to live in a way that's not just pleasing to him, 
but that's good for you. Remember, the Bible says that he created the world in wisdom. In other words, he created the world to function in a particular way. And unless you are, you are functioning in that particular way, you cannot be holy and happy. You will not be holy and happy. Why do you think there's so many unhappy people in the world? Because they're not following the wisdom of God. He is the chief shepherd. In the New Testament, they call him the Logos, the one who has all wisdom of knowledge, the one who can teach you and help you on how to live wisely in the world. So what's the big takeaway? Trust the wisdom of God. Trust the one shepherd. He will lead you into all truth. Young people especially, notice uh, what he said at the beginning of chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Why? Because when you get old, you don't get smarter. You don't get wiser. I could promise you that. There's a lot of old fools. So he says, apply your heart to wisdom while you are young. While you are young. Because when you do that, your life will be a blessing. Your life will have meaning and purpose. And you won't live in the despondency of emptiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the truth of it. Father, um, I love how uh, Solomon ends the book because in the book he reminds us that only your wisdom, only your truth can establish um, a good life for us that holds our life together. Father, we as a society, we as Christians are faced with a lot of questions. We have a lot of decisions to make and we cannot lean onto our own understanding. Please help us to lean on the understanding of you and your wisdom to live. I pray that this truth might lodge deeply in our hearts and it might give us the courage to live in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.